God, thank you for mission focus. I'm thankful for all of the speakers and, and for the way that you moved through them. God, I'm thankful that, that we didn't have to rely on people, Lord, but that you came through in, in a big way because you're good and because you're faithful to us and because your word is true and right. I'm thankful for the truths of your word that were taught. And, and God, it, it's true that a lot of these things are, are repetitive and a lot of these things we know, and yet we're, we're difficult people. We're slow to remember, um, we're slow to act, and, and we need those reminders. So thank you for being so gracious with us to give us those reminders to teach us the things that, that maybe we already knew, but, but we needed to hear again. And I pray that we'd be able to put those things into action, that they would make a difference in our lives. Um, and, and, and through that, that we would make a difference in the lives of, of lost people um, here and all over the world. So guide us today. Lord, teach us from your word. Um, take me out of the way. And, and I pray that the words that are spoken today would be from you and of you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you could make your way to Exodus chapter 3, um, if you did not get a handout, if you would raise your hand, the, the Connections team will come by. There's actually a couple of handouts for today. One is sort of a missions flyer. Uh, Pastor Chris put that together. It's got information about trips. There's a QR code that will take you to the missions website. Um, a nice picture of James Fife on there. I mean, there's just some really good stuff. Then the other handout is kind of the message-specific handout for this message. We're going to Exodus chapter 3. and. Just sort of as a disclaimer, we're going to look through Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, not as, not as probably a, a really deep doctrinal um, you know, examination of what's happening in Exodus chapter 3. What, what we're looking at today is what is the Lord saying to us about missions, specifically following up from mission focus. And now when I say missions, this isn't a message only for people that would say, yep, I've, I'm called to go to the jungles of fill in the blank, or yeah, I'm called to, I'm going to be a full-time vocational missionary, that's what I'm going to do. This message is for all of us because we're all called to be missionaries. We're all called to take the message of Jesus Christ to our neighbors, to our friends, to our co-workers, around the world, wherever that looks like. The Great Commission is for each and every believer, so these things apply to all of us. And this story from Exodus chapter 3 I think is familiar. We've read it. If you've been to Sunday school more than like four times in your life, you've probably heard it in a Sunday school message. But let's look at it in maybe a little bit of a new way. Exodus chapter 3 verse 1 says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. Verse 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold, 
The cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So we've got a few points that we're going to talk about today. Number one, your first blank, get to work. So just fill in that word, work, get to work. When, when God encounters Moses in, Gen- in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, Moses is working. Moses is a shepherd. He's keeping the flock. So Moses is, is working. Matthew Henry said this. He said that Satan loves to find us idle. God is pleased when he finds us employed. They say the idle hands are the, the devil's playground, right? Like God's going to take our the, de- the devil's going to take our idleness and use it for evil, but when God sees us busy and engaged and working, he's going to take that and he's going to use that for good. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24 says, The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. Proverbs 18, verse 9 says that the slothful one is a brother to a great waster. So all throughout the Bible... And if you've been coming on Tuesday nights, you've heard this, you know, as Sam has been preaching through the book of Proverbs, we see this this principle of work. God wants to see us busy. God wants to see us working. Some examples from Scripture, Gideon in Judges chapter 6. What is Gideon doing when the angel of the Lord shows up? Because God's people are under tribute. God's people are being controlled, right? They're, They're under oppression. The angel of the Lord shows up to call somebody out to lead God's people Gideon is working. He's on the threshing floor. He's threshing out the wheat. He's busy working. He's not sitting around. Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. God is looking for someone, you know, to be the mother of John the Baptist. And who does he go to? He goes to Zechariah and Elizabeth. What does it say about them in in Luke chapter 1? It says that they were righteous and that they were walking in all the commands and ordinances blameless. So they're busy. They're working. They're doing their job. They're doing the ministry that they've been called to do. Moses, at this point, has been a shepherd for like 40 years. The book of Acts kind of retells this story, and it says that Moses has been a shepherd for 40 years. You want to learn how to be patient? You want to learn how to take care of, of, of something, of, you know, how to... How to how to have ownership over something, go be, a, go be a shepherd in the wilderness for 40 years. You want to learn how to have a really intimate, close relationship with God because you can't have relationships with sheep, like literal sheep. That's all Moses had. That's all David had. Look at the life of David. How does David get such a relationship with the Lord? Well, he's out on his own. Like the Lord is all he has. He's working, he's connecting with God, and God comes and God uses him. At Mission Focus on the first night, Pastor James talked about um, Abraham's servant. So Abraham sends a servant out to find a, find a wife for his son. And what is the testimony of his servant? In Genesis 24, he says, I am Abraham's servant. I am the master servant. So I would encourage you today, if you're, okay, so we're talking about what can I do to, do, to be engaged in the mission? What can I do you know, to, to, to take my life and turn it towards being used of the Lord um, I would encourage you, just get to work right here. Get involved in ministry right here, right now. I put some examples on the screen for you. What can you do? You can evangelize. You can disciple. You can join Kid Town. You know, Moses has a flock of sheep. I would encourage you, if you say, I, I think I want to be involved in missions, get some sheep and take care of them. 
Get some people in your life and take care of them. Learn how to lead them in the things of the Lord, and God's going to prepare you in that way for missions. Maybe that's a kid town class. You know, maybe that's a Tuesday night class. Maybe that's a prayer group. Maybe that's a small group. I don't know what that is. Maybe it just needs to start with your own family. Maybe it's taking good care of the people that God's put in your household. Start there. Do that. Um, Join the hospitality team. Join the connections team. Get baptized. Join the baptism team. Join the safety team. There are ways to get involved and to be a part of the mission all all over this church. You know, in the military, they say that for every... Every one soldier who's on the front lines, it takes 10 soldiers, 10 personnel, 10 people behind the scenes to support that person fighting. So if as a church we send out, we send out 10 missionaries, we need a lot more people back here holding down the fort and taking care of things, right? Maybe that's your part in the mission right now. Maybe it's opening the door. Maybe it's running AV. And maybe you think, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm just opening the door. I'm just making handouts. But you're facilitating growth for other people so that they can be prepared. You know, maybe that's the first step in your growth, and that's fine. Talk to any missionary who's on the field today, and they're, they're, gonna, they're not going to tell you a story of, well, yeah, I got saved when I was 23, and the following year I became a full-time missionary. That's not how it works. Doug Pearson, I got to listen to Doug up in the, the breakout sessions during Mission Focus. Doug was 19 or 20 years old when he started praying for India. So at 19, 20 years old, he became a missionary to India by praying for God's people in India, by praying for the lost people in India. 15 years later, he buys a ticket to, look, to go to India to live there and to be a, a full-time missionary on the field there. But he was a missionary the whole time. His location changed, but his purpose didn't change. Okay, so get work, you know, get to, get to work, get busy. Moses, uh, just a, another thing about Moses at this point. So most accounts say that Moses lived like 40 years in Egypt, and then, you know, he murders that guy, and he has to flee to the wilderness, and he's 40 years in the wilderness. So Moses is 80 years old at this time. So... I'm looking around. I don't think anyone in here is over 80. So none of you are disqualified to be missionaries by age. Right? You've still got some years left. We, um, years ago, I was in Belize on a missions trip, and I met this pastor who was working down there. And this, he, was, he was an older gentleman, and he was, a, he was a fireball. He was a guy that would... So in Belize, everybody has cinder block homes because of all the humidity, and so he would paint the side of his house like bright blue. And then in yellow letters, he would write verses. But they were never verses like, you know, God is love, or like, it it was always verses like, you know, I'll paraphrase, it was like, repent or go to hell. Like, things like that. Like, he would write them on the side of his house. But this guy was like, energetic, and so he told us, we're talking to him about his story, and he said, you know, he said, a lot of people come down here to retire said, I didn't come down here to retire. I came to refire. And we thought, man, your fire is a little bit strange to me, but hey, you're doing it. Like, you're, you're doing the work. So get involved. Get to work. Maybe it's financial support. Maybe what you need to do is own a missionary and say, I'm going to faithfully give to Boston. I'm going to faithfully give to a trip. I'm going to faithfully give to name it. That's how you can get involved. So get to work. Number two, the second thing that we can do, or the second thing we see here is that the movement of God requires 
a response. The movement of God requires a response. So this is really interesting. So Moses is doing his thing and he's got his sheep. He's, he's, he's taking care of them. And the angel comes down. So this angel who is God's messenger, in the Bible we see that angels come, they bring a message from God. So the angel comes, he's in the bush. And the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And this is really cool. In verse two, it says that Moses looked, he sees it. So Moses is like walking, there's a burning bush and he looks. Look at verse three though, and it says, and Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. So we're all, we've all got our lives and we're all moving and we're all walking and, and, and we know that God is moving at this church. We know that God is moving all over the world, right? We, you know that. Just, and, and you can, there's, there's a lot of ways to know that. We won't go into that. But you know that God's moving. So you see that God's moving and you look. Now you have a choice to, to go back to your life and keep walking. Or like Moses, Moses says, I'm going to make a conscious choice to turn and engage with what the Lord is doing. I'm going to stop my life long enough to have this conversation with the Lord. I'm convinced that between verses 2 and 3, Moses easily could have just kept walking. Moses easily could have ignored the burning bush. He could have said, yeah, that burning bush is pretty spectacular, but I don't really want to engage with it because it might mean I need to change my life a little bit. It might mean I need to do something differently. It might mean I just need to slow down long enough to listen to what God is saying to me. We hear so much you know, inspiration. We hear so much verses, so many verses, so many messages, and it's easy to just like kind of keep walking, keep going through our lives. I would challenge you. God spoke to you. God speaks to you. Slow down. Take the time to engage with the burning bush. Now, I would also say don't expect a burning bush. God doesn't speak that way anymore right? How does God speak now? Well, I think it's, it's more like how God spoke to Elijah in 1 Kings, right? Elijah is waiting. There's this earthquake. There's a fire. There's wind. And God says, I'm not in any of those things. He says, I'm in the still small voice. So that's where that relationship, that's where that engagement with God comes. Okay, so I think, um, I think we got we to gotta balance some things here. So the movement of God requires a response from us. So there's some things we need to balance. We don't, we don't want to make hasty decisions, right? We don't want to say, yep, I heard a message, and now next week I'm going to move to Africa. I'm going to move to wherever. I'm out. I'm done. I'm, I'm moving. Okay, and then you buy a plane ticket and you leave. Okay, we have to balance. First, you know, First Thessalonians 5.21 says we need to prove all things. First Timothy says lay hands suddenly on no man. First Timothy chapter 3 says we don't, we don't ordain a novice to kind of a position of leadership. So we have all of those things, but we also have to remember the key verse from, uh, from Friday night at Mission Focus, Romans 13.11. Sorry, this was from Thursday night. It says, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Okay, so, so we have to balance this. I need to be ready. I need to be called. I need to know what I'm doing with, there's really not much time left. So you see this a lot. I, I, this is what some people have called paralysis by analysis, where we have so many choices. I think even at church, 
We have so many choices for ministry. We have so many choices to get engaged. We have so many ways to get involved in what God's doing that we just say, well, I'm going to wait until my spiritual gift exactly lines up with this need that the church has, and then I'll go do that. Well, sometimes that works, and sometimes, remember the story where Jesus sent his two disciples into town to get the donkey, and, and they were like, well, what are we going to say to him? What are we going to say to the master? Like, we're just going to steal this guy's work animal? And Jesus said, well, tell him that the Lord has need of it. Um, the Lord has need of you right now in whatever capacity you can give, whatever capacity you can serve, get involved, do it. So here's some things that you can do. I put them up on the screen for you. Just some really practical things to get you thinking about the mission, to get you engaged. Um, buy a map. Start praying about the world. Put a map on your wall and every day sit down and pray about where God would have you. Listen to a missions podcast. Get some missions books or biographies. Um, Talk to somebody that's been on the field. They'll give you some great suggestions. Join FOI. Maybe you need to learn some cross-cultural skills because you think, one day I'm going to go and be with people of another culture. Guess what? They're, they live right here and they come to our church and get involved. Go to, go to the Clase Hispana. I've, I hear from people a lot because I speak a little bit of Spanish. I hear from people a lot, like, how can I learn Spanish? I, I want to know Spanish. I, I have these coworkers. I have these people that I work with, or you know, I see my neighbors and they speak Spanish. I want to reach them. Um, join Clase Hispana and only speak Spanish while you're there. You'll learn some Spanish. Like it, it will, it, it will propel you down the road. Okay, buy buy a buy a cheap program for your computer. Buy some CDs for your car. That's going to get you a little ways. Um, Go, go make some friends with people who speak Spanish and you're going to learn it really quickly. Join the Arabic Fellowship. Get your passport. It's going to cost you a little money and take a little time, but go get it. You need to save your money. Go to the church's website, slash missions. Sign up for a trip. We have a missions prep group that meets every six to eight weeks. We have dinner together and we talk about how to get prepared to be on the mission field, how to get prepared to be a missionary. The next one's January 23rd you should come. The next slide has a couple of uh, uh, some other options for you. So we still do two by two trips. Sign up for a two by two trip. If you're like, yeah, so I know that I heard from the Lord. I know that it requires a response, but I don't know exactly what to do. I don't know how to make that happen. Guess what? A two by two trip is going to cost you a couple hundred dollars and a weekend and you're going to see a part of the country that you've never seen before. You're going to see a work you've never seen before. God's going to take your eyes. You're, you've got that tunnel vision. You see that God's doing a work. You turn aside and you engage in that work by going on a two-by-two -two trip. Sign up for one. Go for one. We also have a trip coming up this summer. We're going to Toronto. We're literally going to take people to Toronto. There's no agenda. It's just what is God doing in Toronto? Could we plant a church here? Does God want there to be a church like Midtown in Toronto? Let's go check it out. There's a lot of opportunities. Get involved. Sometimes um, I think we wait around a long time and sometimes I think the solution to that, again, don't be hasty, sometimes I think the solution to that is just to sign up for something. Just commit to a trip and put the money down and guess what? You're going to... You're going to end up coming up with the money, getting the time off work, and getting ready to go on that trip. It's like sometimes I talk to people about, you know, like having a baby. And, and some people say, well, we're going to have a baby when we're ready for a baby. 
Like we're going to save the money. We're going to get the room ready. We're going to set up the crib. We're going to have the car seat in place. We're going to just get it all ready. And if you don't really have a date for that, let me tell you, that room will never paint itself. Like that, the mural for your baby that you want to put on the wall, it's not going to happen. But guess what's going to make it happen? Just get pregnant. Like, you got a due date now. It's nine months from now, and that room has to be ready. Our house has to be ready. I have to have enough cash in my pocket to take care of that baby. Like, it's going to force you to. Now, don't go home and say, well, the guy that spoke today at church said we just need to have babies. I'm not saying that. The point is, put yourself in a position where you've got to get ready. Put yourself in a position where you've got to say, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to afford this trip to Laramie next spring. I don't know how I'm going to get the time off work, but I'm going to sign up for it. And by faith, trust that you're going to come through for me. Just, just sign up. Just do it. There's, um, God is at work everywhere. There are burning bushes. God is speaking everywhere. We've got to take the time to respond to it. We've got to take the time to stop our lives, turn aside. Moses, we even see his inner dialogue here in verse 3. He says, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Like, I love it. We just get an inside, like, what is, what is going through Moses' head at the exact time? And he tells us what that is. We get down to verse 4, and man, what happens in verse 4? It says, The Lord saw that he turned aside to see. God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. So, not only is God moving, God wants to see that you notice that. Like, God was waiting for Moses to turn aside. You see that in verse 4? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. Pay attention to what the Lord's doing. 2 Chronicles chapter 16 says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. God is looking for people who are looking to him. If you're looking to God, if you're looking, if you're, if you're listening, if you're, if you're paying attention to what God is doing, if you're actively seeking him, the Bible says, seek and ye shall find. Right? Knock and the door will be opened unto you. I'm convinced that so often in our lives, we miss out on the blessing, the calling, the mission of God because we're not asking. We're not seeking. We're not knocking. We're not even trying to go through that door because we know that on the other side of that door is the burning bush that we're going to have to engage with, that we're going to have to acknowledge, that we're going to have to change our lives so that we can, so that we can obey what it says. Um, years ago, I coached seventh grade football. And if you want to talk about you know, hurting cats, Coaching seventh grade football is an exercise in hurting cats. But one thing I learned, and this is what I told my players all the time, we, the game is going on, and in, the, in the, like the excitement of the game and in all the things that are happening in the game, it, inevitably somebody's going to make a mistake, or inevitably somebody's going to get hurt, and we're going to have to change things. I'm going to have to take somebody from the sideline and put them onto the field. Like in a, in, and you only got a few seconds because the, the, the time's moving. And I always told the guys, I said, if you want to get in the game at that point, you need to be standing right behind me. Because as soon as, that, as, soon as I need to make a change, I'm not going to look around and try to find somebody. You know, People are easily distracted. 
And so um, a lot of times the, the junior high boys that were like on the bench, man, they're turned around and like waving at their parents and they're, they're like trying to get snacks out of the snack bar. They're like, hey, give me nachos after the game, mom. And like they're trying to flirt with their girl, girlfriends that are like in the stands. Like they're super distracted. So if, if it's the game and it's intense and, and I'm making seventh grade football sound a lot more intense and exciting than it is, right? It's seventh. We're not the chiefs here, but the principle is the same. So you're like, you're in the heat, you're waiting. You're like, I got to get somebody in. I'm not going to find the, the kid back here who doesn't have his helmet on, whose shoes aren't even tied, who's asking his mom to get nachos. He's not going in the game. He might be the best player on the bench. He might be the smartest. He might be the most physical. He might be the strongest, the fastest. He might be the best player. But guess what? He's not getting in the game because he's not ready. I'm going to take the guy that's right here who's ready, who's put himself in a position to be used. And that's where God wants us to be. Be in a position to be used so that when the time comes, you're ready. You can get on the field. Maybe there's a need. There's a Kenya trip coming up. There's a Costa Rica trip this year. There's a trip to Ireland. There's a trip to England. There's a trip to Romania and Hungary. And, and maybe you're going to be the one that needs to fill a spot on that trip. But if you don't have your passport, you're not going on that trip. That's a simple thing you can do to say, God, I'm ready. I'm waiting. I'm here. Get your passport. Save your money. Be ready for that. Number three. We have to worship. Number three. So what happens? God is speaking. God is moving. It requires a response from Moses. Moses gets into his presence. Moses says, hey, I'm here. Verse five is where God says, put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. John Piper said this about missions. He said, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Because there are people in the, on the planet that aren't worshiping the Lord, that's why we do missions. That's why we need to be engaged. That's why Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, because there are nations that aren't worshiping. Psalm 86 verse 9 says, All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. How is that going to happen? The only way that all nations are going to worship is if we go to all nations, is if we take the message of Jesus, the good news of the gospel, to those people. Psalm 96 3, he tells us, Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. There's a few opportunities. The next slide talks about a Kenya trip. Okay, we're going to take a trip to Kenya at some point this summer because MBT is looking to, to, to plant a church in Kenya. We're going to evangelize there. We're going to encourage the believers there. We're going to investigate what's going on. We're going to train people. And that, is, that, is make, that is us having a part in Psalm 96.3 and Psalm 86.9 happening. That is our that is, that is our way of contributing to, God's worship, to the worship of God being in all nations. We're going to go to Tampa also. So maybe you're thinking, well, flight to Kenya, that's a lot of money, a lot of time. There's a trip to Tampa. What are you going to do in that trip to Tampa coming up in a, in a couple of months? That's where we're going to evangelize 
to college campuses, to young people, to students, maybe international students, maybe not international students. Either way, the gospel is going to be spread so that people who don't know Christ have a chance to hear about him so that they can do Psalm 86.9 and Psalm 96.3, so that they can engage in worship. Later on in the year, there's a trip to Boston. This is for the MBT choir. And I don't even know if I'm allowed to advertise this trip, but we're going to talk about it because what's going to happen on that trip? What are we talking about number three? Worship. Worship's going to happen on that trip. We're going to take what we do here and share it with the people of Boston so that they have a chance to worship. So Moses is walking through the, through the wilderness with his sheep and he sees the burning bush and he turns aside to the burning bush and he worships. Moses had to get this reverence with God right. Moses had to get his position with the Lord right before God was going to send him anywhere. So we have to get in our hearts and in the expression of our lives, we have to get worship right before God's going to send us out. We have to have God in his proper place. Jeff Bartell, last week, if you were able to catch the Sunday message a week ago today, he talked about worship. His definition of worship is this. He says, anything I do to honor, obey, and exalt God, which requires personal sacrifice in order to do it. So I would ask you today, what are you sacrificing in your life in order to be able to worship the Lord with your life? Worship has to be holy, or we have to be holy to worship, and being holy is a sacrifice. And maybe... Maybe there's no burning bush. Maybe there's no angel of the Lord speaking to your life and you would say, I came to Mission Focus and God didn't say anything to me. I come every Sunday and God doesn't say anything to me. Maybe it's this issue of worship. Maybe it's this issue of reverence where you need to put God in his proper place before God's going to speak to you. Get worship right first and then allow God to speak to you. What's going to happen in heaven? It's literally going to be a worship party. All tribes, all tongues, all nations. Everybody's going to be there from all over the world. And we're going to be worshiping together. I see no better way to spend our time on earth than as like a warm-up for what's going to happen in heaven. Let's make this a dress rehearsal for what we're going to do for eternity. When, when Jesus says, you know, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what's happening in heaven? What's God's will in heaven? Well, he's being worshipped. He's being adored. He's being praised daily, just at constantly, 24 hours a day. The elders are crying out. People are bowing before his throne. So if that's God's will in heaven and we want that done on earth, we should be worshipping on earth and we should be leading others to be in a place where they can worship as well. Number Four, let's go to verse number six. Verse number six, God says, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Number four, we need to know God by knowing his word and using it. How many people took driver's ed in high school? You sat through the class. You read the book, you watched the videos. Driver's Ed is great. Like, it's helpful, you know, um, you get to learn a lot. Um, we had a fun, I had a fun teacher, like, it was cool. Where do you really learn how to drive, though? Yeah, get behind the wheel of a car. 
Like, go do it. Go drive. You need both. Okay, so, so uh, we, have, we have discipleship. We have Foundations 2. You know, we have LFBI. We have Bible studies. Sunday mornings, you get a couple of sermons, typically. These are all great. These are all necessary. You have to have background knowledge. You have to know what the Word of God says. But you also, know, have, you also need to learn how to use that in your life. Paul warns that, the, that, that knowledge puffeth up. Knowledge is going to make our heads, we expand our brains with knowledge and we become really proud of how much we know. And all of that knowledge doesn't mean anything to the lost, typically. Not at the beginning. Some, some lost people, they want to know. They, they have questions and they want to know about the Word. And I think that's a really good reason to learn what the Bible says. Because when you get on the mission field, whether that's in Boston talking to a student, whether that's in Kenya, whether that's in wherever you go, people are going to ask questions. As you start telling them about your God, they're going to say, well, yeah, well, what about this? And yeah, well, what about this? I ran into a guy once in a jungle and he was asking me, so this guy literally, he had literature from the Jehovah's Witnesses and he didn't have running water, but the Jehovah's Witnesses had been to his place and he had literature in his language for the Jehovah's Witnesses. And so we started a conversation and I had to be able to answer questions about why what he was reading didn't line up with the Bible. If I didn't know this at that time, I couldn't answer his questions. And when you're on the field, maybe Google doesn't work at that time. And guess what? Somebody, if you're engaged with somebody in this kind of conversation, they don't want you, they're not going to really believe in what you say if you're like, well, let me look that up first. You need to know these things. We got to have them down. We got to have them down. We got to have that strong teaching. I think if you come to this church, you have no excuse for not knowing God's word. So a couple of opportunities coming up to, to put this into action. Laramie is coming up. There's a trip to Laramie to teach about discipleship. This is a discipleship refresher. The church in Laramie is just getting started. They're trying to engage their people in what it means to be disciples. And guess what? We have a chance to take what we know about discipleship and go encourage them and give them a refresher. We're also heading out to London and Ireland coming up sometime late this spring. There's some new works happening in Ireland. There's an established work in London. Brian Clark is there. He just ordained somebody. Now he's planting, he's looking to plant more churches. We have a chance now to encourage the believers there and to evangelize. But if you don't know the word, Brian Clark will say this a lot. The people he engages with, he, they do a lot of street preaching there. And the people that they talk to on the streets of London, those are very intelligent people. These are people that have really thought about what it means to know the Lord and, and, or to not know the Lord and science and they've thought about all the things. You've got to have answers. There's also a trip to Romania and Hungary. These are coming up. This is coming up in late April. Another, there's some works there. There's some young, there's a young missionary in Hungary. There's more established missionary um, in Romania. We've got a chance to go and encourage them. We've got a chance to take what we know and share it with them. I think being out on the missions field is going to give you a chance to take the things that you know and make sure that you really know them, but it's also going to give you a chance to learn about God in a new way. Genesis chapter 14. In Genesis chapter 14, that's, there's, this, there's a big battle going on. It's called 
It's the battle of the kings. And there's these groups of kings and they've decided that they don't like each other and they're going to fight. And Abraham's nephew, Lot, gets kind of in the crossfire, right? He becomes sort of the, um, he becomes a casualty of war. Like they, in, in the battle, Lot is living where he's living in Sodom and they just take him captive. Abram's, he's Abram at the time, he's not happy about this because that's his son. That's his, like his son, it's his nephew. So Abram gets his servants ready. This is another good lesson about being ready. How does Abram, like, in one sentence, Abram has an army and they go fight. How is it that, that, that his army was ready? Well, they had obviously been trained. They were obviously ready to go to the battle. So picture this, there's this battle, Lot gets taken, Abram gets his men together and they go get Lot. They rescue him. After they rescue him, Abram's like, he helped win the battle, right? And one of the other kings says, um, so you probably want all the stuff, right? Like we got the spoils of war and Abram says, no, I'm good. Like I don't need it. Look at, look at what he says in Genesis 15. It might be on your paper. I'm forgetting if I put it on there. Genesis 15 verse one says, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. What had Abram just been through? He had been through a battle. So God says, hey, reminder, I'm your shield. Abram doesn't learn that God is his shield unless Abram goes to the battle. You see that? Like he has to be engaged in the battle in order to learn that God is the one protecting him. If he doesn't go fight, he doesn't learn that God is his shield. What else does he learn? He says, God tells him, I am thy exceeding great reward. Guess what, Abram? You fought in a battle. You could have won all the riches, but you don't need them because I'm your reward. Abram doesn't learn those things without going onto the battlefield, without engaging in the fight. We don't learn new things about God until we get engaged in God's mission, until we take a trip to Romania, until we get involved in missions prep, until we get involved in ministry. We don't learn about who God is until we're walking with him. I went to college to be a high school teacher and for three and a half, four years, you sit in the classroom and you learn about what it means to be a teacher and you learn philosophy of teaching and you learn methods and you learn your curriculum and all this stuff. You, you just get all this head knowledge and it's good and you need it. And then they let you do this thing called student teaching where you go to a classroom and you, you observe for a few days, maybe a week, and then they're like, you know, the teacher's like, hey, good luck. I'm gonna go to the break room and hang out. You have the class for the next five weeks. And all of a sudden, all of the things that you learned over the last four years, you have to put into practice like today, right now. And I'm here to tell you that you're pretty bad at it when you start. At least I was. Like, I did not know how to teach. I was lost. I was up late trying to make plans. I was struggling. I didn't know how to engage the students. I didn't know what to teach. I, it was difficult. And then you do it some more, and you do it some more, and you do it some more, and you learn how to do it, right? 
That's what we do in church. Like we gather all this info, we gather all this data, we sit in all these classrooms, we take in the Bible, we read it every day, we have all this knowledge. We need to put it to practice. We need to put it to work. We've got to take it to people. Number five. Verse seven says this, it says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So, number five, God sees, and God hears, and God knows. Sometimes we think like, well, you know, I care about this group of people so much, I'm going to go to them, I'm going to reach them with the gospel. I'm here to tell you that God already sees those people. He hears their cry and he knows the condition of their heart. So everybody's looking at the screen. So I want to tell you that Amazon sees you and hears you and knows you. That's an Amazon Echo, here's your voice, and there's that show thing and now it's, it's watching your life. And that guy knows what you need. And he's going to show up at your house with the exact things that you talk about. Has anybody ever experienced that where you're having a random conversation about whatever and the next time you get on your phone you find an ad for the thing that you're talking about? Yeah, Jeff Bezos is like way too invasive. He knows way more about your life than he should. So imagine that at a small scale. That's, that's like this big. Now the God of the universe, and he knows he sees the affliction of the hurting. God saw his people in Israel. They are in Egypt. <clears throat> they probably thought that they were forgotten, but God had not forgotten about them. I think it's safe to say that, that our obedience to the call of God on our life could be an answered prayer of someone else. So there's someone around the world praying. There's someone else crying out to God saying, God, would you send us someone to give us the good news? Would you send us someone who can give us hope? They're crying out. And what God's going to do, what prayer does, is it's God connecting those dots. Those people pray to God. God burdens our heart. When we respond, we're the answer to that prayer. We're able to read, so we homeschool our boys, and we're able to read a lot of missionary stories with them. Just people that sold everything and they, they went. They sold everything to go translate the Bible in the jungle, or they sold everything to do, like, whatever. And there are so many times in those stories where, where these missionaries get to the foreign field and, and the people that are living there literally say, we knew that there was something else out there. The Bible says that God reveals himself through creation, right, in Romans chapter 1. God has revealed himself to us. They said, we knew that that was happening, but we didn't know what to do about it. We didn't know God's word. We didn't know what it meant to follow him. And, but God did. God heard them. God heard their cry. God knew what was happening, right? And so God sent them. Romans chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, explains how people today, um, people at any time, are really slaves to sin. And so this in, in Exodus chapter 3, we're dealing with God's people, Israel, who were slaves in Egypt. They were servants in Egypt. And, and God was sending Moses to set them free, to break those chains as a picture of the spiritual slavery that we're all in today. Romans chapter 6, verses 16 and 17 says this, says, Know ye not 
that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. The world is in bondage. The only way to break them free from that bondage is for doctrine, the good teaching of God's word, to be delivered to them. We are God's delivery people. Like we are the Amazon people. We are the people that need to take that message so that, so that the, the, those who are enslaved can be set free. Number six. We get to the end of this. And Moses has engaged with the burning bush and, and he's worshipped and, and God has said, hey, I've seen the people. I know what's happening down there. He says, I'm their God. I'm going to take care of them. Verse 8, he says, I'm come down to deliver them. Verse 9, he says, that their cry has come to me. I've seen the oppression. I get it. Like, I, I, I know that it's there. So number six, we need to remember that God will send us or God will send you. I'm here to tell you that God loves the lost more than you do. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. It doesn't say that the church isn't willing that any should perish. It says God is not willing that any should perish. So what we need to do is find our place in God's ministry. Find out what God is doing and join him there. Let God be the one to send us. The first message that Jesus preaches in the book of Luke, it's in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, and he's quoting Isaiah, and Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to do what? To preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Even Jesus himself, Jesus himself gets his calling, gets his message, gets his vision from God. He says, God is the one who has anointed me to do this preaching. So, the first missionaries that get sent out in the Bible, kind of official missionaries, Jesus sends out his apostles in, in, um, in the book of Matthew chapter 10, but after Jesus, resur after Jesus you know, resurrects, he, he ascends into heaven, the church starts in the book of Acts. You get to Acts chapter 13, the church is together, and the church is praying. The church lays hands on Paul and his team and sends them out. So, so we have to remember everything we've talked about today, and, and we need to be motivated to go, and we need to worship God in the right way. We have to get all these things lined up, and it all needs to come under the context of the local church of God working through the local church to send you. Now, do you need permission from your pastor to witness to your neighbor? No. Like, just do that. There are some things that we're just called to do as Christians that we should always be doing. But don't, don't you know, maybe you're friends with, like, Brian Clark because he's a funny guy. You know, hey, I follow him on Facebook. Don't call Brian and say, hey, I'm going to take a missions trip to your church next week. Okay. The church already has a mechanism for that to happen. Work within the structure. And that's not about control. That's not about because we know what we're doing and we're the best. That's because we need order. We need structure. You need the covering of the local church 
in order for you to do missions. There's a couple other opportunities. So I want all of this to be very, I, I want us to, to think, okay, how do I respond to God's teaching? How do I respond to mission focus? How do I respond to what God did in my life? And let me tell you, there's a, there's a missions team at this church and man, trips have been planned and things are put in place. Preparation is put in place. There's a system in place for you to fit into. And the goal of that missions team is to facilitate getting people on the field, is to facilitate the mission. And again, we're talking about trips, but there's a lot of other things you can do right now to get ready or to just do your mission here before you're ready to go on a trip. So what are some other opportunities? Um, Pastor Wagi has, a, has a, an, a university, essentially, in, in Egypt and in South Sudan. We need people to go in late November. Now, these are people that you've, you've graduated LFBI, you're in leadership, you're ready to teach pastors, you're ready to teach deep theological things. That's in November. What about moving to Kenya for a year? What about moving to Nairobi and moving for a year? That's an opportunity. What about going to South Sudan for a year? What about moving to Boston forever, like never coming back because you're so committed because God's called you to go work with the Renaults in Boston. Mike stood up here and said, we need laborers. Maybe that's you. What about moving to Dallas forever? You can still be a Chiefs fan in Dallas. It's okay. You don't have to give that up, but move to Dallas, right? There's a little work there that's started there's a Bible study, and that, that, they need a pastor there. They need a leader. They need someone that's going to turn the little thing, whatever God's doing there, into a church. So, Rosie, are you good closing us out with a song? So let's do this. We're going to close with a song. We've given you a lot of information. Okay, there's a lot of trips. There's a lot of verses. One other thing you can do, I forgot. If you look in the back of the church, there's little plaques that have the names of all the trips that church is taking this year. Go sign your name on one of those saying, I commit to pray for this place, to pray for this trip. Um, I, I commit to, to giving some money. I might even commit to going on it. So I would encourage you as we close, um, I'm going to pray and then we'll close with worship. While worship's happening, we'll have some people up front. If you need to put some feet to this, if you need to say, would you keep me accountable to getting my passport? Would you keep me accountable to getting involved in ministry? Would you keep me accountable to whatever it is? Come down front, tell somebody that. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Um, God, the way that you, in, you encountered Moses in the burning bush, uh, and you spoke to him clearly, you gave him a clear direction, a clear mission, a clear path for his life. Lord, I pray that you would show yourself to us in those ways. I pray that you would make it clear to us uh, what the next step is for each of us, God. And maybe that's salvation. Maybe that's just knowing you. Maybe that's getting discipled. Maybe that's baptism or new members or, or maybe that's signing up for a trip. Maybe that's LFBI, whatever it is, Lord. I pray that you would make it really clear and tangible what the next thing for us to do is. Because God, um, at the end of the day, really what needs to happen is you need to be worshiped because you deserve it. And we want to be involved in that. So would you move us um, to be involved in that in Jesus' name, amen.